Hello, everybody. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Dynasty Dawn. You already know what it is at Psychward FF with you again. Before we get too far into it today, we're going to drop that intro. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast presented by BrotoFantasy.com and the Fantasy Football by Brodo app, the only tool you need to dominate fantasy football. Like, share, subscribe, download, click that bell for notifications so you always stay updated with your boy. It's here. It's rookie draft season. It's what Dynasty is made for. All the preparation, all the accruing of the picks, all the value, the draft has been had. We know where the rookies are. We've got some ideas of landing spots. We're starting to even see some workout videos, some OTA stuff coming through. This is it, folks. This is what we wait for. This is the time of year that gets everybody excited to play Dynasty. So... What else should we do other than rank them? We're going to finally set these players in their final spots for rookie drafts with their landing spot, with their draft capital. We know what the profiles look like. Last week, we covered some instant reactions and some rookie hot takes. So go back, check that out. Check out the archives for all the pre-draft rookie rankings. But now, post-NFL draft, with the draft capital, with all the information that we have, we know where we can place these guys. We know where we can value these guys in our rookie drafts. So let's get right into it. We're going to break down the post-draft rookie tiers and their values, where you should trade back potentially, where you should trade up, where the tiers break both for individual positions, individual players, and where they break as value sets as well. So we'll get into that right away. I think it's pretty obvious. We knew it for essentially three years. I play Debbie as well, and I haven't seen Bijan Robinson go any later than 112 in a Debbie combined dynasty draft. He has been the rookie RB1 and the dynasty RB1 overall since his freshman season, essentially. Sophomore season really solidified it. He's the 1-1 one, one still. The draft didn't change that despite three quarterbacks going top five, who we will absolutely break down. Bijan's the 1-1. He's in a tier of his own as the 1-1, and he will go as high as 1-9, 1-10 in startup drafts that have rookies available. <clears throat> Landing with the Falcons at pick 8 overall, obviously solidifying with top 10 draft capital is as good as we could have ever expected for Bijan Robinson. Landing spot was never really going to affect him greatly as far as what team he got picked. We all assumed he was going to get top 15, top 20 NFL draft capital, which again would have essentially shown us that he is worth that one, one that we all assumed he got even higher than that. The Falcons go again an offensive selection for the third year in a row in a top 10 pick. And again, they avoid moving assets for a quarterback. They select Bijan Robinson with Arthur Smith still in house who ran the ball more than anyone last year. They're going to keep running the ball. They just got a generational talent. They have a very solid number two in Tyler Algier who can pound the rock on early downs and keep Bijan kind of away from some of those stacked boxes on um, on later downs rather not early downs um some of those stacked boxes in those short yarded situations keep Bijan a little healthier keep that you know your superstar big play guy set up in open space and Algier can still have some fantasy value but it's going to be a little more unpredictable um certainly a solid handcuff if you have the one one I would trade as high as two five for Tyler Algier um, and potentially a little higher, depending on how your league market feels. If you're drafting Bijan, I think Tyler Algier is absolutely somebody that you need to have on your roster. And I know there's going to be a contingency that says don't roster your own handcuffs, especially in redraft and in best ball. There's reasoning behind that because, you know, your own handcuff in a long tourney is not really going to help you. If somebody else's handcuff goes down, then you also have the starting. Anyway, there's theories behind that. But in Dynasty, when you have and are investing as much as your first overall pick in a super flex league with three solid quarterbacks on a running back like Bijan Robinson, you have to have that insurance. And Tyler Algier is still very young. He's just 22 years old, turning 23 before the season starts. He will be a 
fixture in the offense until his rookie contract is up. Absolutely. So that gives him another three seasons with the Falcons, likely backing up Bijan Robinson in a very important role, as we saw Jamal Williams have uh, with Aaron Jones um, in Green Bay. And that is very important. Obviously, Jamal Williams has had standalone upside anytime Aaron Jones was out and then continued to grow and become a very fantasy relevant star in his career. So I think with the Bijan Robinson landing spot to the Atlanta Falcons, I think managers that are using that one, one selection should absolutely consider adding Algier fantasy perspective from how that looks. I think it does hurt Drake London and Kyle Pitts's overall game to game ceiling a bit. Arthur Smith told us what he's been telling us and continues to tell us he's going to try and win the NFC South. And he's going to try and do so by running the football as much as humanly possible even when they're down 30, as we saw in 2022. That selection of Bijan Robinson and then adding depth on the offensive line later on in the draft as well solidifies that. Those assumptions and obviously keeping Desmond Ritter under the helm at center, not moving any assets for one of those three quarterbacks that were going top five when there were only three spots behind that, um, moving some future picks and knowing that they aren't necessarily trying to bottom out for Caleb Williams in 2024 was kind of interesting to me, but instead they say we're going to run the football. You're not going to see them pass the ball 35 times a game to give Kyle Pitts and Drake London both stand alone wide receiver one and tight end one positional upside. And Kyle Pitts certainly in that realm of tight end, you know, as high as three overall in dynasty circles, um, certainly has fallen a bit behind the Mark Andrews and, and Travis Kelsey. I think people on the market are kind of tired of waiting, so to speak, but absolutely a generational talent is Kyle Pitts. Situation can certainly affect these players and it affects them greatly as we have seen. Now, you always want to bet on talent. I absolutely do believe that Kyle Pitts will have one of the single greatest, most important tight end seasons in the history of fantasy. I believe that. That is a hot statement to make. The problem is, is I don't know when it's going to happen. I'm willing to continuously invest, assuming that that is a risk that is going to pay off. But with that said, the 2023 outlook is definitely a rookie running back that is going to see upward of 250 touches. Definitely a sophomore running back that is still going to have a high rushing upside and rushing volume and a rush first quarterback that is going to game manage a run first offense. Now, Drake London still stands alone as the wide receiver one. They didn't do much to add any help to him. Mac Hollins comes in, but Kyle Pitts and Drake London are going to have to fight for 22 pass attempts per game, upwards of 28 pass attempts per game. That's probably in the range that the Falcons are going to operate at once again with the NFC South being one of the weaker divisions in the league. They can very much win nine games and potentially that division with nine games and eight losses, just running the football and playing good defense. Arthur Smith is a great defensive coach. He said, let's go get ourselves a running back and continue what almost won us the NFC South last season. Bijan still stands in a tier of his of his own and it's solidified. He's the one, one don't overthink it. If you have the one, one make sure you are absolutely getting a ransom of a haul as you would, if you were trading away as high as the one nine or one ten in Superflex startup leagues at one, two in Superflex startup rookie drafts. I think it's Bryce young. I understand the upside of the person that I have in the same tier as him, which is Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson holds in his back pocket, the keys to QB1 overall upside. Jalen Hurts upside. Lamar Jackson upside. He has the greatest athletic score in the history of the NFL draft for the quarterback position, acquiring a perfect 10-0.00 in relative athletic score, dominating the NFL combine. He's very raw as a passer. He's very inaccurate. He's one of the most inaccurate college quarterbacks that has ever been drafted in the first round period. One of the most inefficient and ineffective passing quarterbacks that have ever seen first round draft capital. I think Bryce Young should be ahead of Anthony Richardson. Carolina supporting cast is absolutely worrisome. I think they're going to probably lean on Booby Miles a little bit. Miles Sanders getting a bit more of a run and probably some passing down work than he did when he was in Philly. Um, some of the upside that he flashed as a rookie when he had 60 receptions and then 
absolutely nuked his receiving upside playing with Jalen Hurts, where if he's going to check down, Jalen is going to take off. You're not going to see that as much with Bryce. He is more of a decision maker. His athleticism can certainly extend plays and get him chunk gains, a la Patrick Mahomes in situations like that. But he is undersized, and he's a great field manager, a great field general. He has a great arm and phenomenal pinpoint accuracy. I think Bryce Young should be ahead of Anthony Richardson. For all intents and purposes, although Anthony Richardson's ceiling is QB1 overall, I think Bryce Young's ceiling is QB3 overall, a la Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, QB5 overall, but has a floor safety attached to him of still QB1 upside, where Anthony Richardson genuinely doesn't have that safety, in my opinion. Now, there is something that I've said many times on the podcast, but if you're a new listener, it's really important to bring it up again. In Dynasty, Quarterbacks that get selected in the top 10 of the NFL draft in the first round in the top 10 of the NFL draft have absolutely phenomenal value insulation during their rookie season. And that is regardless of production. What I mean by value insulation is right now, Anthony Richardson and Bryce Young are around the 2625 and startup Superflex drafts. Next season, they will remain in the second round, regardless of their production. History has told us that with top 10 quarterbacks over and over and over and over again. Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen, guys that have not been very good, maintained similar towards 90% of their initial startup value in their second season. Now, after that second season, it is a free-for-all. You will see their value dip to absolutely zero if they don't start producing. But when they have that top 10 draft capital attached that first season is almost free so there is some safety with investing in anthony richardson or bryce young or cj stroud but i think the safety as far as production is concerned leans towards bryce young so he would be my one two in super flex rookie drafts i think carolina is not going to compete in that weak nfc south as i was talking about with atlanta it's going to be a bit of a developing and a learning process now they gave up a lot to get bryce and they don't necessarily have a lot of weapons around him but he is able to produce and have high volume numbers without those phenomenal weapons cj stroud obviously had a litany of nfl wide receivers at his array bryce young has not really had that over the past couple seasons he did start out with you know, some great talent around him to practice with, but Mac Jones was still the starter at the time. Jalen Hurts was still in house, obviously, before transferring to Oklahoma when Bryce was still a true freshman, but his sophomore and or junior seasons weren't necessarily surrounded by great weapons. You didn't see any Alabama wide receivers get selected in the first round this season. Um, only Jameson Williams last season, who was actually an Ohio State transfer. So very interesting, certainly. Um, I think Bryce is going to help that Carolina offense kind of maintain relevance. There's going to be some interesting fantasy weeks. Again, I think Miles Sanders is the biggest winner there just for more scoring opportunities with a good quarterback rather than signing or starting a veteran bridge player. Um, but it, it's going to be rough. It's going to be some lean years, and it's going to be some lean years in Indianapolis as well. They spent a fifth overall pick to get Anthony Richardson. Their weapons are certainly and undeniably better. They're going to run the football, and Anthony Richardson is probably going to be a part of that plan. I still like Bryce Young a little bit more, and I prefer him for that safety. That is the standalone tier of QB1s, in my opinion, as far as QB1 overalls. Um is Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson at the 1-2 and 1-3? Have it any way you will. Now, I've had a really tough time with this next tier. Breaking it down specifically from the standpoint of should I value the QB more in Superflex or should I just listen to the draft capital that got attached to one of the greatest Konami code profiles of a running back has ever produced? Jameer Gibbs is a special receiving talent. This is not a misspoken or I'm not misspeaking when I say this he has run 25.7% of his routes as a wide receiver not out of the backfield one quarter of Jameer Gibbs entire routes which obviously is higher than anybody else as at the running back position in this draft class have been run from the wide receiver position at Georgia Tech and Alabama he is a wide receiver in a smaller prototype running back's body. He's 5'9", probably will enter north of 200, although he didn't quite get there at the combine. His playing weight is probably around 200, 201, 199. That doesn't bother me as much. He has phenomenal speed, was the second fastest running back behind only Devin Akane in the NFL combine. He has phenomenal speed, and he has 12th 
overall to the Detroit Lions, who have the best run blocking unit in the NFL by a lot, by the way. Like, it's by a lot. Frank Ragno, Panay Sewell, they have built a phenomenal run blocking offensive line there. The only one that can even compete with them in the same ballpark as the San Francisco 49ers. And for my money, Detroit Lions have a better offensive line. Jameer Gibbs for his size is also not a weak between the tackles runner. He's certainly shown against SEC defenses that he is willing to get dirty and willing to gain extra yards with guys on his back. Now, obviously open space as a pass catcher, that's where his money's going to be made. He has stand alone RB1 upside that nobody other than Bijan Robinson in this draft class offers. Landing spot specific. I think the Detroit Lions investing in B- in Jameer Gibbs made a lot of people nervous until they traded away DeAndre Swift. The money that they allocated to David Montgomery was certainly not an ideal um, situation for looking at Jameer Gibbs' upside, I guess. But I think that was just a bad decision. Like genuinely just we're going to get somebody on the market because we don't trust in DeAndre Swift. The pick of Jameer Gibbs obviously solidified that. The trade sent that message home to Gibbs himself. Literally to home because he's from Philly. Jameer is going to see a ton of work and ahead of David Montgomery. Look at how the dynasty market feels about Khalil Herbert right now. The Bears only added Deontay Foreman. The dynasty market loves Khalil Herbert and as do I was in on Khalil well before his rookie season for the reason that David Montgomery is not a good NFL running back. There was certainly some interesting draft capital attached to his name, but David Montgomery was continuously getting played off the field even though his snap percentages were higher, getting outproduced and slowly losing his job to a much smaller but more efficient running back in Khalil Herbert. I don't think it's going to take very long for Jameer Gibbs to completely snuff David Montgomery to a 40% snap percentage and 30% usage share. David's going to be the goal line back that Jamal Williams was for Detroit, but Jameer Gibbs is a supercharged running back weapon that the Lions legitimately have not had since Barry Sanders. I'm not putting him in the same ballpark as Barry. I'm just saying that that team got themselves the only running back in this draft class that can compete with Bijan Robinson from a fantasy standpoint as the RB1 overall in Dynasty. Um, I do think that Jameer has a much higher or difficult road to get to that RB1 overall, but a rookie season with top 12 draft capital where he could accrue a thousand scrimmage yards easily a thousand combined scrimmage yards would certainly put Jameer ahead of everybody that isn't named Bijan Robinson on the dynasty market. I think you have to take him ahead of CJ Stroud. And one of those reasons is look at the Texans offense. If you think Carolina's situation is bad, the Texans offensive line certainly a little better than Carolina. So Stroud should have some time, but like tank Dell is looking to be their number one wide receiver. Really? Like, it's bad. It's bad receiving weapons. They have Damian Pierce. They're going to lean on him a little bit. They traded away a ton of draft capital, not to help C.J. Stroud, but to get a generational edge rusher in Will Anderson. The Texans put C.J. in the worst position of anybody in this draft class as far as quarterbacks are concerned, in my opinion. Will Levis doesn't count because he's not a first rounder, (laughs) but we'll get to Will later. I think CJ is in a really, really bad position to compete because he's not going to get any first round offensive help next year either because they gave that away to the Cardinals to be able to draft Will Anderson. It's a defensive team. They're going to run the ball. DeMarco Murray is the head coach. He's instilling the 49ers kind of smash mouth offense and best defense in the league. They're building a solid defense. You can obviously see that with Will Anderson and some signings that they made last year, some great picks that they made last year with Derek Stingley and Jalen Peter. The Texans are going to have a great defense. CJ Stroud's going to have no help. In Superflex leagues, he still has that insulation that we spoke of. He was selected second overall. Zach Wilson was selected second overall, as big of a bust as he was. He re- maintained his initial startup value from year one to year two because production doesn't matter when they have that capital attached. CJ Stroud is an absolute smash at his spot because he still has a range of outcomes that suggests he can produce at a level a la a Matthew Stafford or a Joe Burrow, somebody that is a very consistent and solid pure passer 
um, even Kirk Cousins. And I don't think that's any slight. I know the market isn't high on Kirk Cousins whatsoever, but you're talking about a guy that in nine years has had eight QB one seasons. And the only one that he didn't have as a starter was the, the season that he was injured. So Kirk Cousins is a completely solid and absolutely great QB one and always underrated. I think CJ Stroud might fall a little bit into that. He's not going to get a lot done with his legs. He doesn't have the same athleticism as Bryce or Anthony Richardson, obviously. He's going to be a pocket passer. He's got pinpoint lob accuracy, but he doesn't have a bazooka attached to his shoulder, a la Josh Allen either. So arm strength and field stretching, not necessarily his forte, but he can carve any defense up. Um, Had some phenomenal weapons in Ohio State. Landing with the Texans, you're going to see if C.J. Stroud was a product of the system, which I kind of think he potentially may have been. You're talking about playing with... What is soon to be in the 2024 draft, you will see five first round NFL wide receivers in Jackson Smith and Jigba, Chris Olave, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Egbuka. Um, it's an absolute pipeline of dream weapons to come up in when you are a college quarterback. And Ohio State, for historical reasons, doesn't necessarily have a great hit rate in the NFL for whatever it may be. But over the last few seasons, they have produced from the quarterback position. I should have don't have a great hit rate in the NFL from the quarterback position. But over the last few seasons, the talent that 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 program has produced for the NFL at the wide receiver position has been absolutely phenomenal. And the guy feeding them those passes over the last two and a half seasons has been CJ Stroud. So very interesting, obviously. I think Stroud you have to either take Jameer Gibbs ahead of, which again, that 12th overall draft capital, or you go Stroud because of the insulation. But that is the tier. Those are the top three tiers. It's Bijan Robinson, and then Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson in a tier, and then Jameer Gibbs and CJ Stroud in a tier. After that, the tiers break a little bit. But for me, if I'm trading up and giving away future draft capital, unless it is very minimal, like you and your friend have an agreement that, look, man, I'll give you a third or a fourth because I know you prefer this guy, but I want this guy (laughs) kind of thing. And I know he's worth more, but then I don't want to trade up unless it's to that one five. One six with JSN, I'm okay with if it's a very late first in future years or, you know, um, middling veteran producer that might be aging out. Uh, I shouldn't really say middling, but a veteran producer that might be aging out. I'm okay with trades like that for rebuilders specifically. Um, but I'm not really looking to trade intense draft capital talking 2024 first and a second to move up those five, six spots to get JSN. So I think the, the tier really drops off Bijan Bryce, Richardson, Gibbs, Stroud. If you're looking to trade up, you want to trade up into that tier. Those are the guys that are guaranteed to have value insulation, regardless of rookie production, have excellent landing spots rather than Stroud having no weapons for Houston, and also will produce for your rebuilding teams. Even though he doesn't have many weapons, they're going to have to use CJ Stroud. He will produce. And points are important for selling reasons as well. If you get these guys on your rosters and you can't quite make it over that rebuilding hump, it's okay to sell rookies in rookie seasons, but make sure you're getting back similar value. So these are the top five guys that will allow managers to move essentially in any direction. After that, you're kind of hamstringing your decision-making a little bit because the quarterback value absolutely drives dynasty superflex drafts. There's no denying that. And Will Levis did not get first round draft capital. So we don't have any quarterbacks allowing major value like Jameer Gibbs to fall. So the next standalone tier, and it's a solo tier in my opinion, although we did see four consecutive wide receivers get selected in the first round for the first time in the history of the NFL draft with Jackson Smith and Jigba, Quinton Johnson, Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison all going from 20 to 24, um, 23 rather. I think JSN still stands in a tier above the rest. I had him comfortably ranked um, above even Jameer Gibbs before draft. I didn't expect Jameer Gibbs to get top 15 draft capital. I cannot deny what top 12 draft capital says to that Konami code profile. So I have to adjust and being the full disclosure pod that we are. That was the first 
adjustment that was made in my rookie rankings. My first pre-draft miss was having JSN well ahead of Jameer Gibbs and having CJ Stroud in a tied tier, even knowing he was going to get top five draft capital, having him in a tied tier with Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson. After evaluating and kind of understanding how much value Jameer Gibbs offers to that table. I am kind of willing to say that CJ Stroud isn't quite in that same value tier um, as the over or one overall positional asset at his position, but undeniable top five pick in Superflex. Jackson Smith and Jigba should be the first wide receiver off the board. Undeniably, the NFL felt the same way. I thought he was going to get Jameer Gibbs' draft capital. I genuinely thought, potentially Detroit, potentially Philly, that they were going to pop off and take Jackson Smith and Jigba top 15. The NFL felt differently. Obviously, that junior season and the injuries, not being able to participate fully in the combine, not running the 40, things of that nature, um, led him to fall a little bit. It certainly had nothing to do with that sophomore season of production he put up because it's one of the greatest breakouts that we've ever seen for a wide receiver. But JSN landing the Seahawks has people a little down. Obviously, you're going to sit on the depth chart behind DK Metcalf. I don't think behind Tyler Lockett, but let's say with Tyler Lockett on the depth chart as well. Seattle did something to me with the Zach Charbonnet pick that we will lean towards in a little bit towards the end of our first round rookie evaluations. Seattle did something to me with the Zach Charbonnet pick and the Jackson Smith and Jigba pick. A lot of people think they want to run the football. I think they want to pass. I think they want to pass more. For my money, the reason that they invested top 60, he went 52nd, into Zach Charbonnet, he's the best pass blocking running back in this draft class by a long shot. He sees edge rushers and blitz pickups like they are Cheerios for breakfast. He loves contact behind the line of scrimmage as a runner and a blocker. It is absolutely in his forte. Kenneth Walker was not the most phenomenal prospect. Um, Zach Charbonnet probably leans a bit ahead of him as far as collegiate production and prospect profile, early breakout age, things of that nature. Absolutely ahead of Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker didn't see much of any production until his junior season at Michigan State after transferring. Zach Charbonnet is probably a better running back. I think it's hot take time. I think Zach Charbonnet might be the starter. I think Zach Charbonnet might be the RB1 in Seattle. And the reason that I think it is, is you're basically getting similar rushing upside. Zach Charbonnet had over 2,600 yards rushing total in his collegiate career. Obviously returned for a senior season. You don't love the senior returns. You like to see the three-year, you know, early declare breakouts. But broke out early, had to transfer to UCLA because of a Donovan Edwards, a... Blake Corum, just a loaded backfield in Michigan. He wanted more touches. He wanted to also be closer to his sister who and his family who were ill. Um, so Zach Charbonnet moved back home um, to California to be with his family. That was a big part of the transfer portal. And a lot of people thought it was because he was getting pushed out of Michigan. And I don't think that was the case at all. I absolutely think he would have continued to outproduce Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards had he been healthy. He goes to the pack, though, absolutely dominates, obviously, in UCLA's, UCLA's offense dominates his senior season, I think he might be a more well-rounded and equal rusher to Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker doesn't present much upside on third downs at all. They That's why you saw DJ Dallas have a 28% snap share. Like, what are we doing here? He doesn't do much on third downs because he's a pretty poor pass blocker for an NFL running back, and he's not a great pass catcher. Seattle certainly utilized him in some open space and some swing routes where Kenny was able to get big gains and, and had some positive upside and positive receiving, certainly more positive receiving than he ever had in college in the NFL. But Charbonnet offers more pass catching upside than he does a much better pass blocker. And for my money, an equal rusher, I don't think there's very much an issue taking Charbonnet there, but that's not the point that we're getting into <laughs> kind of got sidetracked with JSN. They're going to pass the football. They're going to use Charbonnet as a pass blocker. They're going to pass the ball. They have three phenomenal wide receivers. They have Geno Smith, who had an incredible late career breakout. He's on a really cheap deal. They've solidified that he was a starter by not moving any assets where they were at to be able to, with the Devin Witherspoon pick, obviously, as well, um, to be able to select a quarterback in this draft. They like Geno. They like where they're at. Go back and check out the Brotopod this past week. Mike and Tim agree with that as well. I think Geno is going to be 
very competent and a very good passer. I think there is a misnomer that they're going to run the football. I think JSN presents as much upside, if not more, and as I have him in a standalone tier as the wide receiver one, than any other wide receiver in this class. He is still Jackson Smith and Jigba. He is still the greatest Big Ten sophomore breakout that we've ever seen. He's still put up 1,700 yards with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave alongside of him and outproduced both of them. Um, yes, they both earned higher draft capital, and I, I'm I'm fairly certain now that a lot of their production and maintaining double coverages was part of JSN's breakout. But with that said, he's the best route runner in the class. He has the best hands in the class. He topped the class in three cones, so the agility is there. The burst is there. No, he doesn't run a 4-4-40. He doesn't need to. Neither does Jefferson. Neither does CeeDee Lamb. Neither does Keenan Allen. Neither does Cooper Cup. He doesn't need to. Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be the number two wide receiver, and I wouldn't be surprised if he overtakes DK Metcalf in his career range of outcomes. Absolutely something that could happen. He's going to feast in the slot. Tyler Lockett has had career success in the slot as well. I think them drafting JSN as high as 20 tells me either they are guaranteeing that he can function on the outside and they will allow him to develop as an outside receiver or he is that good that they're going to spend that money on a guy that they're only going to run routes from in the slot. So JSN is a smash. He's in a tier of his own as a wide receiver one. The next tier is a three-pronged tier. Jordan Addison I have at the top of the tier. I know the NFL felt differently. I have him at the top of this tier. We'll get into it. Quentin Johnson, 21st overall to the Chargers. Zay Flowers, 22nd overall to the Ravens. Addison at the top of that tier, 23rd overall to the Vikings. I love Addison's landing spot. Adam Thielen has been incredibly productive throughout his career as a slot, as an undrafted slot. This is them saying, let's take first round draft capital and try and replicate that. I think Addison with Jefferson in house as well, obviously they're going to click and learn off each other. He is going to develop at an incredibly rapid rate. I know there was a bit of a concern with health and injury size as well. He is a little undersized. All of these guys are that aren't named Quentin Johnson. It is the era of small wide receivers. Get used to it and stop allowing it affect your rankings. The NFL is saying, I'm going to spend first round draft capital on small wide receivers. You should too. Jordan Addison is a Blitnikoff award winner. He is the standalone reason that Kenny Pickett saw first round draft capital, because I think after that rookie season, we can see that Pickett ain't it. He looked like he might've been it and pit, but that's because Jordan Addison had 2000 yards and all the touchdowns in the world. Jordan Addison also is top 10 in yards per route run. He's top 10 in QB rating when targeted. He had a little bit of a regression in this junior season. He had a little bit of a regression. Yes. But that USC offense was on fire. Caleb Williams Heisman, whenever Addison was healthy and on the field, he was producing as the number one. They ran some decoy routes. You can check out his route percentages versus targets on PFF. They were definitely using him as a decoy when that hamstring was acting up. It's hard to get collegiate injury info a lot. Schools like to keep things really tight knit. And when they're not tight knit, there's too much info and you can't parse through it. So it's hard to tell when he was producing at his best obviously healthy and when he was hurt and not producing or when he was not producing because he was being defended well it's really difficult to tell with Addison but all of the peripherals are there the route running is there the athleticism is not bad by any means it's well above average in every category he's agile he's quick he's fast he can do it all he's going to dominate in the slot in a Vikings offense that has produced high volume slot numbers for that wide receiver position for years with Kirk Cousins under the helm Jefferson didn't really affect that yes Thielen kind of passed the torch, uh, especially this season, obviously getting up to age and 36. But Jordan Addison is going to come in and see probably around an 18 to 20 percent target share as a rookie. And I think that it, he's absolutely a better wide receiver than K.J. Osborne. There's nobody else that's going to affect those targets. T.J. Hawkinson can still get his upwards around 20 to 23. Obviously, Jefferson in that 28 to 33 range. Like you're talking about an offense that likes to pass the ball. They have Dalvin Cook kind of in a questionable situation. He's been potentially a trade candidate, potentially a cut candidate. They did re-sign Madison as well. We'll see where that goes before, obviously, the season starts. But I think Jordan Madison is stepping into a phenomenal situation. The market doesn't quite agree. I think you can take advantage. I wouldn't, again, wouldn't necessarily want to trade up major draft capital to the tier that is below that CJ Stroud tier that we were talking about previously in this episode, but I really do like JS or um, 
I like Addison in this trifecta tier ahead of the other guys that went in that same range at that 21, 22, 20th with JSN. Quentin Johnson to the Chargers for me isn't overly exciting. It's a fine landing spot, but I was really hoping that the Chargers would have been smart enough as an organization to say, we can either recreate Keenan Allen in Jordan Addison, or we can recreate Mike Williams and Quentin Johnson. And I think they made maybe the wrong decision of those two. If you prefer Johnson over Addison, look, I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to tell you it's the wrong decision. I think we've all been through and know Quentin Johnson's red flags now. He's a poor separator. He doesn't have incredible route running prowess. Keenan Allen in-house might be able to help that a little bit. His jump ball and contested catch situations are very similar to Mike Williams, where it's kind of just all out muscle and out leap all of y'all. It's not going to look pretty and I might land on my head, but that ball is mine. That's very much Quentin Johnson's game. A little bit of a body catcher when he does so as well, but nobody's going to out muscle him when he goes up for it. So if you want to take Quentin Johnson ahead of Jordan Addison, by all means, if that's your guy, you know, the red flags, we've been through it. He's got some issues. They all do. It's not as strong as a wide receiver class as we had hoped. We would hope that some of that draft capital picked up those profiles, but we're here now. We know where to value these guys. I think Addison a little bit ahead of Johnson and a little bit ahead of this next guy, but I would have Johnson basically in the exact same range as Zay Flowers. That is more so of a concise tier, maybe a little bit closer than I would have Flowers to Addison. But in the same tier, absolutely. Zay Zay Flowers going to the Ravens, Again, I think this is an organization, especially with their new hiring of Todd Munkin, I think this is an organization telling us that we are trying to change our culture, much like we saw with the Seahawks going JSN and going with a pass-blocking specialist running back who also has upside in every other scenario. I think that the Ravens are saying, we're getting in a pass-first offensive coordinator that maintained a pass first, very successful pass first offense with Stenson Bennett and won multiple national championships. And we're going wide receiver with our first pick in the NFL draft in our first round. Zay Flowers doesn't have an incredible amount of competition. We love Rashad Bateman. We love Rashad Bateman's peripherals. He hasn't stayed healthy enough to really maintain the production that is going to boost his dynasty value where those peripherals say it should be um, Zay Flowers coming in with Odell Beckham Jr., uh, Mark Andrews. It looks like they want to pass the ball. They didn't add running back. J.K. Dobbins getting healthier. Um, Lamar Jackson obviously back in house on a contract extension. Good for you, Lamar. Get that bag, buddy. But I think the Ravens are going to pass. I really like Zay Flowers. I always did. He inarguably had the best draft process. And that means everything. He had the best interviews. He had the best combine. He had the best media hype. He had the best, all of it. Zay Flowers had the best draft process of almost any rookie period. All it was throughout the entire process with Zay Flowers was positive, 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 positive. Teams are going to move mountains to get him. Teams are going to take him in the first. Teams think he's better than JSN. All of it. We heard all of it. The Chiefs kept Patrick Mahomes or, or kept Zay Flowers around in Texas when he was down there visiting the Texans, which means they were thinking as high as like 15th or 12th. He was down looking, um, training with the Texans, and the Chiefs said, stay there. We're going to send Patrick Mahomes. We're going to use our top 30 visit on you as well. So every team in the NFL gave this kid a look. I think the Ravens want to pass the football. I do still like Rashad Bateman, and I think it's kind of going to be a muddied target share. Lamar won MVP and passed for 35 touchdowns with Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, and then an array of 12% target share earners, right? So Lamar can spread it and be incredibly successful with more weapons that gives those weapons more success, Lamar more success. It's just an effect of being better at the game than the weapons that he had. But with that said, that doesn't guarantee that Zay is going to feast with 18% or 20%. I think that would be a very positive target share outcome for his first year, especially being a senior. You need to see him after four years in the ACC at Boston College, not really breaking out to his junior season and not really having a, I'm a first round receiver until the senior season. Um, You need to see Zay produce right away with an 18 to 20% target share right around that Devontae Smith rookie season of, you know, very underrated, but 900 yards, seven TDs. 
that's where Zay needs to be for this positive range of outcomes to continue because he is a late declare because he didn't get Chris Olave late declare draft capital. Um, there's going to be a little bit of volatility when it comes to his career range of outcomes. So that's why I have him at the bottom of that try headed tier with Addison at the top, Quentin Johnson in the middle. Um, Johnson, not ahead of Addison for me, because I think it's a worse landing spot than the Vikings. And I would have always preferred Addison as a prospect and Zay a little bit behind Quentin Johnson, because I think Quentin Johnson does still possess in his career range of outcomes, wide receiver one overall, certainly after Keenan Allen and and Mike, Mike Williams will never be a wide receiver one, (laughs) but certainly after Keenan Allen's, career is said and done. Um, I think Quentin Johnson could be a top 12 positional asset in dynasty one day. I don't think it's going to happen this year. And I don't think it's going to happen next year, potentially, because we're still going to see a crowded room for him. So, but Zay Flowers for me will never be top 12. I think Zay Flowers is going to be a phenomenal wide receiver two and a staple producer on your offense for five to six years. Um, but that said, he doesn't reach that pinnacle of range of outcomes that the other guys ahead of him. So that's where I would have the tri-headed wide receiver tier of the first round. So let's just go through it again so we can recap everything real quick. At 1-1, we have Bijan Robinson, standalone tier, RB1, top 12 positional asset, um, or top 12 overall asset, pardon me, in Dynasty. You're going to see him go 110 in Superflex leagues. That's a tier of his own. The second tier has Bryce Young and Anthony Richardson at 1-2 and 1-3. The third tier, Jameer Gibbs and CJ Stroud at 1-4 and 1-5. And those are the top three tiers that I would be willing to actually give away some decent risky draft capital to get up into if I'm in a contending or rebuilding phase. In a wide receiver one of 2023, his own tier, Jackson Smith and Jigba. And then the tri-headed wide receiver tier of Jordan Addison, Quentin Johnson, and Zay Flowers. The next tier has our first tight end of the draft and the first tight end that was selected in the draft. I am very wary of first round tight ends. Very wary of rookie tight ends in general. You're going to spend a first round pick on Dalton Kincaid if you want him on your roster. The Bills wanted them on their roster. They traded up ahead of the Cowboys who wanted him on their roster to, for the rights to select Dalton Kincaid at 25th overall, a first round tight end who has absolutely phenomenal receiving prowess, absolutely phenomenal athleticism, but those things don't always connect at the NFL level. The tight end position is undeniably for offensive positional players, the most difficult learning curve from college to the NFL. You see guys like, this is one of my favorite examples. I've used it on the pod several times, but guys like Dallas Goddard being the next great tight end breakout. Well, he spent four years behind Zach Ertz as the Eagles backup. And then it was like, now we're excited about Dallas Goddard. You have to be okay with that when investing in these very high upside tight ends. And as always, although there's not going to be much change, we view these rookies through a super flex tight end premium league. The tight end premium addition is not going to affect very much in this particular draft class. You're going to see the same rookie rankings, regardless of your tight end premium edition or not. But we always view through that tight end premium lens. You have to be used to investing high capital. You're talking one, three for Kyle Pitts, and we've still waited two years for it. Hopefully we get it this year, potentially not with them running the football so much. But then you saw it, obviously, with back end of the first two one with Trey McBride. We're going to have to wait a little bit. Like it's just, it's what happens. If you want these tight ends in tight end premium league, the upside is undeniable. You better have a taxi squad. You better be able to stash them because that there have been three tight ends in the last 60 years since Ditka that have had over 600 yards. Evan Ingram is one of them. Kyle Pitts is one of them as well. These aren't high producing all the time tight ends. Evan Ingram didn't really see a career breakout until after he left the Giants, had the best year of his career with the Jaguars. And that rookie season is is far and long gone. Um, Kyle Pitts' thousand yard rookie season seems very far gone as well. You're talking about a position that is incredibly difficult to produce that in fantasy specifically tight end. Obviously we know how barren the tight end landscape is, but because it's the hardest position to produce that in the NFL, you have to have the offense cater to you. Dalton Kincaid is going to have the offense catered to him. The bills are going to run Kincaid out of the slot. 
they needed a slot receiver, all the receivers got taken up. Right in a row where the Bills wanted to go get their slot guy. Quentin Johnson has shown success from the slot, obviously played most of his routes on the outside, but has had great success in the slot. Jordan Addison, phenomenal Bolitnikov award-winning season. Most of his snaps came from the slot in the in pit. Um, and Zay Flowers as well, dominated from the slot and outside with like a 60-40 split. Very interesting route participation. But there were three hot slot receivers waiting for Buffalo. They all went. Buffalo also needs a tight end ahead of Knox or to at least supplement some of Knox's lack of pass catching ability as great of a run blocker and can mix in obviously in the red zone as Knox can. They went and got the best slot receiver available in Dalton Kincaid. He's going to play a lot of offline. He's going to play a lot in the slot. You're going to see Knox with his hand in the dirt playing in line as that extra blocker. And you're going to see Gabe Davis Dalton Kincaid and Stefan Diggs on three wide receiver sets quite frequently, I think. So although you're probably looking at 670, 700 yards and five, six touchdowns at a ceiling as a rookie, that would put Dalton Kincaid in some very, very elite range of outcome company when assessing his future. So for sure, Kincaid in that next tier below those three wide receivers, I think you got to smash it. It's it's going to be a waiting time, but I don't want to draft this last tier who are going to round out our, our 111, 112s. I don't want to draft these guys against somebody that has positional upside of the number one overall player. Like Dalton Kincaid can become Travis Kelsey. Nobody's saying that he can't. That's not a hot statement. That is absolutely in Dalton Kincaid's career range of outcomes. He can become Travis Kelsey. He can also be Evan Ingram. But at that back end of the first, it's worth that risk because you're talking about Will Levis, Zach Charbonnet, Devin Kane, who I have kind of obviously we're going to like 2-1 now, 2-2 but who I have in a shared tier at the end of rookie drafts as we round out this episode. I really like Zach Charbonnet. I think we obviously talked about him a little bit during my JSN rant. Um, Phenomenally productive in the pack. Very productive as a freshman at Michigan as well. Had some great games. Broke out really young. Um, That 18.6 age breakout is great. Four years in college, sure. But again, Wanted to transfer to go go back to his family, had some injuries in Michigan, and they had a very stacked running back room. So he went to a place where he could get all of the touches, and he, and he dominated with all of those touches, 5.9 yards per carry, over 2,000 yards total. Zach Charbonnet is going to eat into Kenneth Walker's upside. That might be the biggest takeaway from that pick. Isn't necessarily that JSN is going to have value, because JSN is absolutely going to have value. It didn't matter where he landed. The Seahawks, yes, a little bit of a crowded wide receiver room with very productive wide receivers, but they're going to pass a little bit more, I think. I think those numbers are going to go up from that 13th, probably into the top 10 of, of pass attempts this this year. At least you would absolutely hope to see so when they're spending that type of draft capital on these players. Um, Zach Charbonnet is going to eat into Kenneth Walker's workload, but Kenneth Walker is going to eat into Zach Charbonnet's workload. It's, it's an insurance pick for sure. Um, should anything happen to Kenneth Walker, you're talking about a guy that has the prototypical size, athleticism, and skill set to play 99.9% of the snaps and get all of the touches out of the backfield. Seattle's backfield beyond that is not worth mentioning. So it's, it's Charbonnet and Kenneth Walker in a very, very talented two-headed dragon. They both worry me for fantasy purposes in, in stand like singular um redraft leagues wow i couldn't believe i couldn't find the word redraft in my head right there <laughs> they both worry me a little bit in redraft leagues kenneth walker and charbonnet do they will limit each other's upside they will cap each other's ceiling so to speak i'm not saying that i favor charbonnet straight up over kenneth walker i think kenneth walker absolutely should still be taken ahead of zach charbonnet in Superflex startup drafts. Um, the reasoning for that is because he is NFL proven. He did have a very good rookie season. Zach Charbonnet, although a better collegiate prospect, which is undeniable, as we've stated, has not proven it in the NFL. Anything can happen. There's always Trent Richardson's who have great rookie seasons and fade out and are 
great collegiate seasons and never become anything, right? There's always busts and games don't always translate to the NFL level. So we'll see. But Kenneth Walker is a proven NFL asset. He has proven NFL production. He's proven he can find success within Seattle system when he's given touches. Um, obviously, Rashad Penny long gone. They shared that backfield last year until Penny got hurt again. And then Kenneth Walker took over, had a great rookie season. So I think he's going to lead the season as the starter. I think he'll maintain the starter role and starter insignia and label throughout Zach Charbonnet's entire rookie season. Um, with that said, anything happens to Kenny Walker and you're talking about Zach Charbonnet becoming, you know, the RB one in Seattle and, and having top 15 point per game upside at the running back position, uh, just based on volume alone. Um, I like Charbonnet at the back end of the first will Levis getting 33 or 32nd overall, I think to the Titans. Um, 33rd overall to the Titans. I misspoke. That hurts Will Levis's range of outcomes. I mean, let's just be point blank and simple. He was not a great prospect. He had lots and lots of red flags. The NFL checked all of those red flags. They noted them down. They looked through their books. They said, nah, not this guy. The Titans said, all right, this guy, as they did with Malik Willis last year. Again, early in the second round, Malik in the third. But Will Levis, a second round pick as early as it is, you could call it a late first if you want, even because we're talking about the the Dolphins losing a pick and, and only having 31. Call it a late first. Go ahead. It ruins his range of outcomes. There's no value insulation whatsoever there. I think Ryan Tannehill is absolutely the starter. The Titans may very well enter the NFL with the worst offensive roster, minus Derrick Henry being an absolute bulldozer that refuses to slow down regardless of age or injury and continues to crush everything in his path. But the Titans may very well enter the 2023 season with the weakest offensive roster. Will Levis isn't going to have any help. Should he somehow miraculously win the starter role, which once again, I don't think is going to happen. I think Ryan Tannehill has that locked down at least for one more season, but this also might be the Titans weak way of lighting a fire under Ryan Tannehill. Um, so to speak, to kind of be like, look, put up or shut up time because we have your replacement and we'll, we'll see what Will Levis has. We're willing to see what he has. Um, and if he ha- if he doesn't have it, great, because we're done with you as well. So I do think Tannehill maintains starter. I don't think Will Levis plays a game as a rookie. Like, I'll just there. I don't think Will Levis plays a single game as a rookie. I think you can take him towards the back end of that first. Um, maybe lean Charbonnet, obviously lean Devin Kane. Don't go into that bag of second round wide receivers before you draft Will Levis. Take the super flex upside shot on Will Levis, putting it all together miraculously and becoming a QP one. Take that upside shot because the hit rate for second round wide receivers and third round wide receivers simply is not worth the investment of first round draft capital. And I'll get into some names, guys. I still really like towards the beginning of your second round to kind of round out this, this tier, Michael Meyer, 35th overall to the Raiders, Josh Downs, 79th to the Colts. I think he should go early second. Kendry Miller, 71st to the saints. I think he should go early second, but the end of your drafts really should look like Zach Charbonnet, Will Levis, Devin Kane. It should be one combination of those three guys rounding out 11 and 12 with the next one falling at 2-1. You shouldn't invest first round rookie capital into guys that have extremely low hit rates and that would be third round wide receivers, day three wide receivers. I'm even leaning, although I, I like some of these you know, later wide receivers for sure when they pop up in my third rounds. Um, but I'm, I'm even leaning some of these, you know, day three round four running backs o- over these wide receivers, guys like tank Bigsby, um, obviously guys like Izzy Abinaconda, um, for, you know, later in the second, obviously you're, you're talking about the Tajay Spears as well. You're talking about past two, six, but if, if wide receivers are falling, I'm, I'm certainly willing to pop off on those running backs before those Jaden reads, those Jonathan Mingos, um, the NFL can have them in the second round all they want. Sometimes they get it wrong, and I'm willing to bet that they got it wrong with these guys. Speed is a hell of a drug. Um, When you can stretch the field, you don't necessarily need to be a producer. It's very strange to me that the NFL doesn't just think that having good players um, produce is more effective at making defenses do what you want to than having a guy run in a straight line and just drag safeties with him, but hey, whatever. I mean, Justin Jefferson doesn't need to run nines to have three cornerbacks come over to one side of the field, but that's a discussion for a different podcast. We're rounding this out by saying it's Charbonnet, 
52nd overall to the Seahawks, Levis 33rd overall to the Titans, Devin Akane 84th overall to the, the Dolphins. Those are the guys I want to end my first round with. I'm not looking to trade up for these guys, but I'm more than happy with selecting them at the end of the first round if I can't move these picks or package these picks for future assets down the road. I think the trading point for 2024 first is immediately after that tri-headed rookie tier. Um, I still get into first round wide receivers. Like these are first round wide receivers. You shouldn't just throw those away for a random 2024 first, unless you know, based on league margins and, and roster trajectories that that first is going to be top six. Don't throw away the chance at drafting a first round NFL wide receiver for a future pick that you don't know where it's going to be. But after that tri-headed rookie tier that we talked about and we ranked out in our first round rookie drafts, that's when I think you can try and trick managers a little bit to, to pay up maybe for somebody that they like more than you. Try and get some 2024 first, even if they may be random. That would be the Dalton Kincaid, the Zach Charbonnet tier. Levis, Akane, I... I'm okay if you got to make those selections, make those selections. We haven't really talked about a cane very much, but Devon Kane landing in Miami was the best possible thing that could have happened to that kid. Absolutely phenomenal landing spot. You're talking about a coach that all he cares about is speed. And he goes, I'm going to make all the fastest players in the NFL, the most productive players in the NFL turn. Obviously Tyreek Hill had the best season of his career without Patrick Mahomes. With Skylar Thompson and Teddy Bridgewater at times without Tua Tagovailoa for the entire season. Best season of his career because Mike McDaniel is an absolute speed demon genius when it comes to designing run schemes beyond the line of scrimmage and at the point of contact at the line of scrimmage. Mike McDaniel's run walking schemes are things that Picasso, Van Gogh, I mean art. It's art. He is an absolute genius. And him getting Devin Akane just adds another, you know, Raheem Mostert, one of the fastest players in the NFL, has the fastest GPS tracking of any player. Um, Jeff Wilson is also top five in GPS of, of speed data in the NFL. Two of the fastest running backs that already exist. And then he adds Devin Akane to that field. And Mostert and Wilson, obviously both getting up there in age, both on short deals, cheap deals. Devin Akane gets late capital, yes, but gets decent enough draft capital that that rounds out that profile. Miami wants to use him. He has the smartest coach that will use him specifically for his speed. Akane is the fastest player in the draft. He is undersized if you don't know, if you're just tuning in and, and finding out this name for the first time. Devon Akane is definitely very undersized. Um, five, eight, 188 pounds. Yeah, we got there, but he's a great pass catcher. He's arguably a better between the tackle runner than Jameer Gibbs as well. He dominated the sec kind of snuffed spiller out. I think in that Miami, my Miami, in that Miami offense with Mike McDaniel at the helm an ever improving offensive line, a healthy Tua. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill drawing coverages as deep as they can go on the NFL field because you're never going to keep up with those two. That opens up so much space for Devin Akane to be a legit producer for fantasy. I love him at 110, 112, 111, whatever. Mix it up with Charbonnet and Levis however you want to. I think he's a great end of the first round pick. Kendra Miller early in the second as well. Just a big bruiser. He's only 20 years old as well. So young. They have Jamal Williams. They have Kamara on a we don't know yet. But early second, I like Kendra Miller to get Tank Bigsby on your rosters in that mid-seconds. I'm, I'm kind of jumping some tiers late. But just letting you know that there are some um, talents and, and some good picks after the first round. But there's certainly a large drop-off. If you can trade your late first back for a mid-second and a future second or multiple seconds in this draft, absolutely on top of that. You should try to be doing that all the time for sure. Try and trade back from these tiers and add value. Um, try and trade back from the top of the tier. Add value. Take the the last player of the tier because they're so even. Always consider things like that. I think we'll round it out by... Mentioning Michael Meyer and Josh Downs early in the second and 
Josh Downs for me, a little disappointing. He was somebody I was much higher on than consensus anyway. Absolutely phenomenal production, 40% target share, 50% market shares. Like one of the most productive wide receivers for a three-year span in the ACC um, at North Carolina with poor quarterback play as well. I really like Josh Downs. The NFL didn't quite feel the same way, but Anthony Richardson, Josh Downs, Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, it's an exciting offense. It's an exciting offense. And I think Josh Downs, for my money, is a much better wide receiver than Alec Pierce. Obviously, Paris Campbell has taken his talents to New York. I think he slots in easily as the number two wide receiver in a run first offense. Um, but Josh Downs is going to see some routes and he's going to see some some big play games. So maybe kind of in that impossible to predict, um, but a guy that you can get a little bit excited about in, in your early second rounds. I'm not mad uh, at taking that shot on Josh Downs, but I'm not willing to do it super early. I would rather the Michael Meyer. I would rather go a little bit with the running back, the Devin Canes uh, of that nature for sure. Um, that's going to do it. I mean, you know where to find me. You can find me at psych ward FF always on all social media platforms. You can find the boys at Brodo fantasy at Brodo FF, Jason at Brodo FF Casanova at Brodo FF Mike, at Brodo FF Tim. That's the army that we got producing all this hot content for you. You know where you can find that hot content? Go to BrotoFantasy.com. Check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash BrotoFantasy. That's where you can find all this extra content, things like the DFS optimizer in season that is guaranteed to make you a little bit of money. You can make a little bit of money with us right now because we're always doing betting content in the Discord. We got the NBA playoffs popping off. We got the NHL popping off. We got baseball popping off. Mike is a baseball and best ball guru. So as these best ball drafts kick up as well, you want to get in that Discord. One of the best communities, patreon.com slash BrotoFantasy. Fantasy. It's what keeps the app free. Go, go to the store, Google Play, Apple Store. Why are you waiting? It's free. The Proto Fantasy app. Every stat you heard me say today, all the content that we get from us, the podcast, exclusive stats like true throw value, true target value. You're talking about coaching tendencies. We got player logs. We got player comps, especially important for this time of season. You want to know who you're drafting and who they compare to? Download the Fantasy Football app by Brodo Fantasy. Go to your Google Play Store. That thing is free. It will help you out immensely during this time of year. That's it. We done. Much love. Much respect. As always, see you soon.